did social media really start uh, the right wing losing its mind, or was it something else? Well, let's bring in Respect to talk about it. He's an associate professor at uh, the Department of Media, Culture, and College of Staten Island. He's also uh, the author of Fox Populism, Branding Conservatism as Working Class. Uh, they certainly did do that, and it's nothing but a lie. And uh, that leads us to his most recent article, uh, Fox News and the Big Lie, a tipping point. So, uh, Reese, uh, welcome. And uh, tell me this, Reese, is uh, just the idea that digital media, hey, that's the real problem, and if we didn't have the Facebook algorithms, et cetera, we wouldn't have had QAnon and the right-wing lunacy that we've seen pop up, or no? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, as the the discussion has exploded, right, about disinformation in the wake of the, the Trump presidential victory in 2016, it's become a cottage industry, right, where people are kind of looking toward technology as the culprit, and specifically the internet and social media. But I would argue that really the starting point of the kind of populist partisan news style it was not social media, it was not the internet, it was cable news. And specifically, it was Fox News who innovated this style and changed the entire news media ecosystem around its own rules, right? Its own branding rules as conservatives as, you know, for the people against the elites. And, and what has happened is the algorithms have subsequently amplified those styles and picks up on those cues. So it picks up on uh, kind of stylistic cues that Fox News put in place long before social media. So I would argue that, you know, the content that works the best on the Internet uh, is content that mimics uh, Fox's style. Yeah, I feel like the establishment is always behind, like unbelievably behind. I remember when Fox News came out in 96, everybody said, oh, my God, that's never going to work. This is so partisan. And, you know, and they're taking a side and they're, uh, you know, they're not dispassionate. What on God's green earth gave the, uh, them the idea that dispassionate is what people wanted in entertainment and media? Right. Um, you know, I think that liberals to this day, even after witnessing the immense success of the conservative media revolution of the last three decades, they still are inflexibly wedded to this idea that you have to, you know, perform the news like Walter Cronkite and, and be an emotionally detached professional, a good professional, and that'll give you authority. But Fox News shows that you can gain authority by creating relatable personalities, by people showing whether you could say it's contrived or sincere, but emotion, right? Actually, uh, you know, trying to express they care about the news topic, right? They're enraged for you. They're fighting for you in the kind of media space. And, and I, I think there's appeal for that that is, doesn't necessarily have to attract conservatives, right? But I think as is, the way the kind of centrist or liberal kind of media market is set up is they're averse to that kind of emotional display, that kind of vigor, that confrontational style. Um, and that's why I think your program for, you know, to be honest, is so interesting because I think it breaks from that usual kind of middle brow emotionally muted uh, mode that liberal news outlets tend to uh, adopt in market. Reese, let me run a theory by you. Uh, so um, I, I call uh, mainstream media and right-wing media together corporate media because in reality they're on the same team, right? So right. on social and cultural issues, sure, they disagree. But the disagreement is kind of a distraction. 
It's to say, oh, squirrel, look, oh my God, transgender people in the bathrooms, go, right? Mr. Potato Head, everybody right. fight, Trans, you know, critical race theory, fight, right? But on economic issues, we've shown on this show over and over again, Fox News hosts, MSNBC hosts, and CNN hosts always agree. Almost always agree, okay? And so I think that they, um, it's, they're playing good cop, bad cop. So the right wing is doing like the emotional stuff, passion, etc. And the mainstream media is kind of lying down on purpose because they want to lose on economic issues, right? So like, like an example, and then I'm broaching into politics, but uh, Biden, for example, pretending he was in favor of $15 minimum wage, he got into office two weeks later, he said, oh yeah, we're probably gonna lose on that. Before they ever even bothered to count votes, that he didn't even, because he was, because he was planning to lose. Democrats are good cops, Republicans are bad cops. Fox News is bad cop, uh, CNN is good cop. But they're actually pushing the same economic agenda. That's why shows like ours that are passionate about actually standing up for people are considered the only thing that's outsiders and not acceptable. So what do you think about that theory? Yeah, I think that, I mean, you can go back to you know, sociological studies of newsrooms going back to the 1970s, like Herbert Gans did this classic study called uh, uh, Deciding What's News. And he showed that journalists are generally fiscally conservative. They, they can be hostile to labor unions, right? Even back then, let alone after the Reagan revolution and how kind of how much our country uh, slanted right, especially on economic issues with the devastation of the labor movement. Um, so it's not as if the, the press has ever been really friendly to like leftist politics, if you define that by like social democratic or socialist uh, positions, those positions have always been marginalized and suffocated and erased uh, generally by by so-called liberal uh, news organizations. So I'm with you there. Uh, And and honestly, it's it's hard if you're critical of capitalism and, and you're a media player that has to exist within a commercial system, you're kind of on an uphill battle. I don't think it's impossible, by the way. I think too often, you know, I, I think um, leftist media activists assume that you can't be popular in the commercial space by making certain anti-corporate critiques. I don't think that's true. But yeah, in terms of funding and in terms of, you know, respectability, what major news network are you as associated with? Uh, it's hard to, as Chomsky famously kind of argued, it's hard to even get a seat at the table if you espouse those kind of views. So I'd agree with you, but I think there's a lot of potential in the left kind of online alternative space where people have shown, like your news organization, that you can build a fairly large audience and, and in fact, wield political power as well. Um, but I do think the, the resources and the kind of, you know, the reputational games they play are stacked against alternative left media. Oh, 100%, because capital goes towards other capital, right? So, for example, um, Fox News started in 96. Actually, uh, TYT started in 2002. So, Fox News is only six years older than us. Um, but what was the difference between uh, us two? It wasn't who's more uh, popular and has a more interesting ideas. We, with no, almost no resources, uh, we compete. Uh, we're one of the very, very few media organizations that compete with Fox News online in terms of video views. So, we're both at the top. We're both very popular. But the difference is. Murdoch invested $450 million in the Fox News before it ever turned a profit. 
And the left wing, the actual left wing, not the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party, in my opinion, and the mainstream media are fake left. That, that's the good cop, bad cop uh, game that they're playing. Meanwhile, they both have the same corporate agenda. But if you're in the left, it's not easy to come by $450 million. And, <laughs> and that's how this game is played. Yeah, no, I mean, arguably spent more than that. I mean, some people quoted it $600 million or half a billion. And, and, and just like that, it, CNN also. I mean, anytime you try to launch a cable television network, it's extremely expensive. CNN bled money for six years. Guess how long Fox News bled money? Six years. So they were in the red for six years. That's how much upfront capital you have to have to even make it on the cable dial, right? So I agree with you 100%, but I, but I do think sometimes left media strategists or left uh, or entrepreneurs or media creators in the kind of left space focus so much on the resources that, and they don't think enough about how powerful just creating a style, a compelling style can be and embracing kind of alternative news anchor styles. And, and so even, you know, leftists, even lacking the resources, they still in some ways tie their hands by still performing this kind of middle brow. We're smarter than the right snarky, um, you know, style that I do, I don't think helps them grow into something that could be a more financially feasible uh, news operation. Yeah. So look, I, I believe in using uh, jujitsu. So if we're in the capitalist game, then let's play the capitalist game and let's win it so that we can get our message out. But a true populist message. The reason CNN is never going to do that, they're never going to have passionate anchors who are fighting for you, is because. They don't want to fight for you. They want to fight for their advertisers who bring them the money. Uh, And who are their advertisers? All giant corporations. And by the way, also corrupt politicians. So that's also how that game is played. But one more thing about that, uh, Reese. So you talk about in your piece the idea that Democrats basically don't get it, right? That they are losing populism to the right wing. That the that the right wing is now considered populist. And it's absolutely true. Like, I was driving through Florida just a couple of days ago when I, I was on a break, and, you know, we're, we see, like, a, uh, a, an RV park, right? And, um, and in the old days, that would have been filled with Democratic voters. Now, as we looked at it, me, me and a bunch of guys that had gone on that trip, we're like, I'm not sure you can find a single Democratic voter in that trailer park anymore. Uh, and... That's amazing. Isn't it amazing how the right wing stole the idea of populism even though they represent the rich exclusively and the schmucks in the mainstream media and the Democratic Party never even figured that out? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very complicated phenomenon. So that's part of the story that you're talking about, the way they kind of have repackaged the business class and CEOs as like super workers. They're just like the working class, right? I, I talk a lot about that in, in my book when I talk about job creators, how important that rhetoric was and how Trump is an extension of that same kind of businessman populist. But I think it's also partly to blame on the way that the Democratic Party in the 70s shifted away uh, from labor Right where labor used to be the symbolic center of the Democratic Party for from FDR all the way to you know um, you know Nixon, but very uh, conscious the Nixon team of trying to repackage the Republican Party as a working class party. They were they were seen at that time as the country club party, as the party for the rich for years. Right, um, and so I think the. 
again, liberal media and the Democratic Party, um, they need to broaden their horizon who they imagine they want to appeal to, because often I think, again, they're inflexibly committed to appealing to college educated, upper income uh, people in their new strategies. And and I think because they're not contesting the broad working class, the broad multiracial working class, younger working class, and trying to create styles of media that would appeal to those groups, uh, those groups are falling to the right, right? And so if you're not if you're not speaking to them, someone else will. And and then there's there's few examples where their media marketing strategies really try to throw a wrench in this association of conservatives, populist, liberal as intellectual. The only strategy I've seen recently was the Fetterman campaign, which I thought was genius that it turned all those um, associations on their head, painting Oz as the out of touch, you know, Hollywood elite. Um, so there's no reason uh, liberals can't recode this stuff or progressives can't recode some of these populist tropes as leftists, right? Um, it, it's shocking to see Tucker Carlson and Fox News, even today, they're starting to refer to their opposition and their competitors as the corporate media. So even, even, corporate Fox News, right? A giant corporation is trying to say that if you're against corporate greed, like on Tucker Carlson, that that's a conservative position. So never underestimate their ability to take something you would assume is obviously leftist, right? And recode it as conservative to their audience and even newer audiences. I mean, he's attracting young Democrats to his show, right? Which should set alarm bells uh, to uh, Democratic strategists and, and, and media creators. So yeah, it's 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 um, it's frustrating for me to see liberals fall for this game over and over again, where they accept the conservative imagination of America and its mapping of the media environment. Uh, and you know, again, it's it's why I'm interested in looking at any left media organization that is not playing that game. Yeah, well, uh, I can tell you from personal experience that uh, uh, when we if if and when we suggest that they should go progressive and populist. The, whether it's media or politics, the general reaction we get from you know Democratic Party, mainstream media, et cetera, is total sh shock. Like uh, they think it's beneath them, um, and they think it's populism is a terrible thing, and it should be avoided at all costs. Well, if you're going to paint yourself as the elitist pricks, people are going to think you're elitist pricks. Uh, it's the world's worst politics. Fetterman proved it 100% wrong. Did they learn any lessons? Of course not. Because they're literally paid not to learn those lessons. So, uh, Reese, great points all yeah. around. And the book uh, that he mentioned there is Fox Populism, Branding Conservatism as Working Class. Uh, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Politicians from both sides of the aisle go to the National Prayer Breakfast, but should they? Well, let's talk about it. We're going to bring in Annie Laurie Gaylor. She is the co-president and co-founder of Freedom From Religion Foundation, and also Nadia Dutchin. She's uh, executive director of the American Humanist Association. Welcome. Hello. All right. Hello, thank you so much. Yeah, great to see you guys. So, um, you guys have put together a letter uh, saying that uh, people should not go to the National Prayer Breakfast, uh, and that is a tradition I've seen in American politics my whole life where Democrats and Republicans mm -hmm. go and they, you know, kumbaya and praying together and it's supposed to be benign and non-political and just bringing people together. Annie Laurie, let me start with you. Um, is that true or is that a cover for what they're actually doing? It really is a cover. It's very inappropriate, first of all, because it looks like it's a governmental 
event. It's called the National Prayer Breakfast. It's kind of a gotcha issue where if politicians and presidents don't show up, uh, they don't look pious enough. But what is the worst thing about it is it is put on by this uh, very untransparent group called the Fellowship or the Family that has ties over the years to dictators, uh, profoundly anti-LGBTQ public officials, um, started as an anti-New Deal thing, became a very Cold War group, and it uses, it wants to say it's bipartisan, it wants to use Democrats as cover for its agenda, which is to really uh, network and promote Christian nationalism. So, Nadia, do you have examples of what kind of uh, Christian nationalism that they push uh, behind the scenes? Uh, you know, these are these are the folks who are, you know, a part of the religious right, and they're behind book bans and bans on reproductive care and direct, uh, direct attacks on transgender young people's health care, dignity, and safety. Uh, this breakfast is at all, not at all benign, as Annie Laurie said. It's, you know, it's quite insidious. And, um, you know, the... The idea that this is this is something that our elected officials who are supposed to be serving all of us, uh, this is something that they should attend. It's it's absolutely the last thing in the last place that they should be. Yeah. So, Annie Laurie, uh, I know uh, we broke a couple of stories at TYT about this National Prayer Breakfast. And uh, yes, and uh, there's a ton of stuff. There's the Marie uh, uh, Butina, the Russian uh, spy that uh, was invited and was working our politicians, etc. They um, they radicalized Mike Lindell. They're the guys who did that. I mean, how how nonpartisan can you be (laughs) if you radicalize Mike Lindell? Right. Um, but I'll tell you, the one that concerned me the most is their activism against the LGBTQ community throughout the world. And so how can Democrats go to something that is that does it? So for folks who don't know, give us some sense of what they do behind the scenes uh, that, that is outrageous. Well, they put, put on this event. It is primarily the primary financial sponsor these days is Franklin Graham, the Reverend Franklin Graham. And he openly admits it's for influence peddling, getting an entree into Congress. They have this very pious gathering where often and frequently the president shows up and Biden showed up last year. But then after the prayer breakfast, they have all these closed door meetings. And that is what I think some good people, liberal people in Congress who don't really realize what's going on are getting hoodwinked. They show up for the public appearance but then all of the nefarious stuff goes on afterward behind the scenes. And when you talk about the anti-LGBTQ, for example, um, the groups that were pushing the death penalty for being gay in Uganda were associated with the fellowship and the family. We had uh, Papa Doc welcomed. We've had Suharto from Indonesia, all kinds of dictators. And in my opinion, what's the most dangerous is that what they're really going to be promoting is Christian nationalism dictatorship here in the United States. Yeah, I'm, I'm very worried about that for sure. So um, now, Nadia, we uh, salons done some great reporting on this organization. Certainly, Jeff Charlotte has, and and uh, but after we did our reporting, we asked a number of uh, Democrats if they're going to still attend, and a number of them said no. So uh, Rokana, Ted Lieu backed away. 
uh, and then uh, Ann Kirkpatrick, and then surprisingly, I was actually su very surprised that we had this kind of effect there combined, um, Nancy Pelosi and Tim Kaine backed out. So that's, that's right. really last great. Year. Yeah, last year. So that's right. really great progress. But uh, Nadia, there's this quote from one of the members uh, that was the organizers of their events where they said, uh, quote, we had more influence as long as we can keep a couple of Democrats in the fold. And so how important is it to get those uh, Democratic holdouts like President Biden to realize that this is a right-wing group and, and not a tent? Right. Uh, you know, it, it's extremely important that uh, President Biden and other people who may very well attend on their own, it's very important for them not to go. Um, you know, this group has, as, as Andy Lori said, it's, you know, it has ties to dictators and is extremely anti-LGBTQ. All of our elected officials, especially those who care to be accountable to their constituents, especially those who are not Christian nationalists, should absolutely reject the invitation to go and should not show up at all. I mean, they, they're there to represent all of the people. Um, and at this breakfast, we don't see our Jewish and Muslim friends. We most certainly do not see our secular community represented there. They are not representing the, the American people, and this is patently undemocratic. Yeah, I mean, look, if you're going to do a prayer breakfast, I, I, I'm an atheist. I signed this letter. I think it's a great letter. I totally agree. I don't hide my activism. I don't hide uh, my beliefs. Uh, I think the so-called reporters who, who say they don't have an opinion are not being honest with you, right? So uh, my opinion is clear, and I'm not going to get invited to this breakfast. I get it, okay? But why aren't Muslims and Jews invited and Buddhists and Hindus? Why are only Christians allowed to pray? I mean, well, you know, once in a while they do invite a nominal rabbi, usually a very, very conservative one and so on. They'll do a little bit of window dressing, but it's always dominated by white Christians. And mm -hmm. usually conservative Christians are the ones who have put it on. And what they try to do is get some Democrats and some Republicans to be co-chairs. And we are particularly hoping that Chris Coons, for example, this year, will boycott the National Prayer Breakfast, will wake up and realize he's being used and other people are being used by a group that is unsavory, that they should not want to lend their endorsement to, and that is causing uh, problems all around the world. Well, there's another problem, which is that some Democrats are actually very, very conservative. So uh, I'm, I'm not sure Chris Coons disagrees with their agenda. Uh, so, uh, by the way, there's an easy way for Chris Coons to prove that he doesn't agree with their agenda by not attending. Okay, <laughs> but everyone who goes is signing up for it. And what? And if they were really non-denominational and and invited everybody, they would invite progressive uh, Christians and Jews and Muslims, etc. I'll believe it when I see a progressive uh, uh, imam start this by going Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah. Okay, but you're not going to see that. Okay, you're not gonna I think see. they've had one imam once, but again, yeah. window dressing. Window dressing and always mm -hmm. right wing, always right wing. And also secretive. Right. Why do they never tell us who's going to be there? And why do we never learn until the last minute whether the president will attend? It's just shrouded in secrecy. So guys, there keeps going back to the same question. What's wrong with these Democrats? I mean, I, I, look, we're guessing, right? Uh, we don't, I'm not in the room with Joe Biden and Dr. Jill Biden as they make these decisions and Chris Coons, et cetera. But 
these folks are definitely anti-LGBTQ. They've been infiltrated by the Russians. They converted Mike Lindell into a rabid right-winger. It's funded by Franklin Graham, one of the most right-wing zealots in the country. I mean, what is it, if, do you think Biden doesn't know or he does know and doesn't mind? What is going on here? He might mind, but he's been, he's grown up in a country where politicians have been coached to wear religion on their sleeves and where you do not offend religion, where if you're invited to a religious event to pray, you show up. It's that gotcha issue. And it's also that the president and the courts and Congress have not caught up with the changing demographics that a third of Americans, adult Americans today are nuns, atheists, agnostics, or nothing in particular. And we don't care to have pious politicians. We don't elect them to be our pastor in chief. They're supposed to be solving problems here on earth. But I think it's just this long-standing tradition in our country never to offend religion always to wear religion on your shirt sleeves. Yeah, I, I must have missed that memo. Um, okay, Nadia, but this is not just secular groups that are objecting now. So who else has signed the letter uh, that's uh, saying, no, we're part of the coalition uh, to make sure people don't attend this? Uh, there, there are quite a few pastors that have joined the coalition, um, and many of them are themselves uh, LGBTQ. Uh, and, you know, they are standing in the fact that this, bre this breakfast and the people who attend and the things that they talk about don't represent them and are actually, they manifest policies that can be harmful to everyone, not just the LGBTQ community. Um, so there are quite a few people who are Christian pastors who are a part of this coalition um, that are objecting to this, this event. All right, great. And Annie Laurie, is there uh, anything that the viewers can do or others can do uh, to, you know, sh at least shed a light on this to get to the right answer? Well, absolutely. You can contact your member of Congress and say, I hope you're not planning to go to this prayer breakfast. And we can make it easy at the Freedom from Religion Foundation. Uh, you can go to our news link. There's an, an action, action alert, and we have a national action alert where you input your name and address, and it will go out to your members of Congress. All right, excellent. Annie Laurie uh, Gaylor and Nadia Dutchin, uh, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. And thank you for uh, bringing light onto an issue that is uh, often shrouded in secrecy. Nice to see you thank again. You. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.